morning, everyone. If you're a guest in fullness, glad you're here. Um, you excited to be here? God is good, amen? I have been uh, in full-time ministry for 40 years. It's a small drop in the bucket in the whole history of the church. It's really small. The church is 2,000 years old. But I've given my life for the church. I've given my life really for this church, this local church. I believe in the church. I believe in the, the Lord who rules over the church. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God has placed the church as the light of the world. I believe that God has made the church like a diamond held up to his glorious light, that when his light hits the church, that it reflects all the facets of the greatness and goodness of God. I believe in what God is doing in the church. And again, God has given me this local church to pastor, this local fellowship to, to speak to, to love. And I do love it. I cherish it. And so this morning, I pray that I don't say anything apart from what God would have me say. I want to poke us a little bit. So forgive me if I poke us all just a little bit. Um, I'm kind of feeding forward. Uh, but if you came this morning thinking I was going to tell you whether you should get the vaccine or not, sorry, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to tell you, but I am going to speak to the climate in which we live and how we as the body of Christ can be the body of Christ, right? Hello? How is the world going to know we're followers of Jesus Christ? By the love we have for one another. Does that mean we can be different and still love and still get along? Does it mean we can have such differences on such passionate things like vaccine and masks and all that goes along with that and still get along, still love one another, still give grace to one another, still understand how, how we are to be the body of Christ to the world around us. So I asked for a little more time because I really want to unfold this a little more this morning. Um, and so please, I pray it won't be boring. I doubt it. Um, I'm not profiting me, I'm just talking, just mentioning the topic gets us all worked up, doesn't it? It's incredible how you can just say the word mask and people just kind of light up. If I were to tell you that it takes a little over eight minutes for light to get to the earth from the sun, would you believe me? Most of you in here would. The question is, why? Why do you believe me? I mean, I've never been to the sun. You? you? If you tell me that the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second per second or whatever, and that it, the sun is 93 million miles away and therefore it takes light this long to get to the earth, most of us, for some reason, will accept that truth. Although, let me just tell you, there are groups you can watch on YouTube who, who don't believe that. <laughs> I 
there is a fundamental element in human nature that no matter how much we want to verify facts, there are things we can't verify on our own. It is impossible for us. And therefore, these unverifiable, unverifiable personal facts, we have to trust somebody who knows something more than us to tell us and help us understand what these verifiable facts are. Now, here's the problem in the day and age in which we live. And I can't speak, that's why I told you how long I've been in ministry. I can't speak for all of history, but I can speak for my life. And it seems as if we live in an age and a day where we are less trusting of those who are telling us something. And the more the expert in that field is, and the further distanced they are from us in a personal relationship, the less we will believe what they tell us. This is a fact of human nature. And the more we distrust, and the more we are distanced, the more conspiracy theories start to become a part of what we believe. Now, I'm not accusing anyone in here of this. I, I, what I want to say is this. We are all infected with this. And we're infected with it because the enemy wants us to be infected with it. His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy, correct? So if he can get us to not trust here, he's going to let it seep down where we don't trust we don't trust God's word. We don't trust God. We don't trust. And if we're not careful, we become an untrusting people all, the, all across the board. Our mistrust is so misplaced that we have people who question history. The Holocaust never happened. We have people who question terrorism on 9-11. We have people who question science. The earth isn't round, it's flat. We have people who question everything because when facts are unverifiable, we decide we're not going to trust. And now politicians have entered the foray and they have, they have seized upon our mistrust of government and the political system so that they then can get their constituency together and say, trust only me. Don't mistrust here, mistrust here, trust me. The problem becomes in that scenario that the monster you create will eventually eat you alive. Hence, just a week ago, or am I poking too hard yet? Hence, just a week ago, at his own rally of 50,000, President Trump suggested you get a vaccine, and he was booed. Mo Brooks, legislator from Alabama, said something like, we need to move on from the election, and he was booed. Now, forget the vaccine part. Let's talk about Mo Brooks. He was one of the spokespeople at the rally 
that preceded the riot. I hate the word insurrection, just personally. That's my opinion. The riot that happened at the Capitol, who said, we can't move, we'll never move on before the election, from the election. Let's question all the election results. Let's not, now again, please don't mishear me. I'm not talking about the election. I'm talking about what happens when you create an atmosphere of distrust, and then you try and throw some reasonableness in it that says, we got to move on because we got an election next year. And if we're not careful, we're going to lose it if we don't start focusing on what's next and stop looking behind. But if you create an atmosphere of mistrust that goes across the board, then no one trusts anything. And my contention is this, that level of mistrust has moved into the local church. It's hard to get away from this society that contributes to a lack of trust. What does that have to do with who we are? I think it comes back to a question of what is the church supposed to be? What is it we're supposed to be communicating? How do we communicate with the world around us? So whatever your view is on this issue, I want to give you the freedom to have that view. I give you the freedom. I believe, I believe that the vaccine masks are a disputable matter. You have to hear in faith what is right for you to do and, and go with it. Now, some people would argue with me even on that. Some people say this is not a disputable matter. Some people say if you get the vaccine, this is what you're doing. Some people also say if you don't get the vaccine, you're not fulfilling your Christian duty. We, we, we become divisive. I don't think the word of God is clear on this matter. Disputable matters are matters that the word of God is not absolutely clear on. I don't believe at this point whether you get the vaccine or not is going to determine whether you go to heaven or not. Now, whether you do or don't, you may get there quicker, but I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know that. Listen, <laughs> if you get the vaccine, I will be your pastor. I will love you. I'll preach your funeral. How's that? If you don't get the vaccine, I will love you. I will pastor you, and I'll preach your funeral. I, I, I mean, what I'm saying is I, I think this is a dispute. How do we walk in this age where there's no trust? We're letting disputable matters come between us. And the world is looking at us saying, where's the love? Where's the love that the church is to have for one another that's going to let them know that we're the disciples of Jesus Christ? Now, let me also say this. I don't think it's your fault. I don't think it's my fault. I place blame. You are not my enemy. The enemy is the enemy. The enemy is the one who's trying to divide us. The, the enemy is the one trying to keep the church from being the church. And instead of focusing on one another, let's focus on our enemy. Let's focus on the father of lies. Let's focus on what it is God has called us to focus. And I believe in the book of Acts, looking at the end of chapter 2, 
through 6.1. I told you this was going to take a while. Looking from the end of chapter 2 through the beginning of chapter 6, we see the early church and we see the attacks of the enemy coming upon the church. And I, I think it behooves us to recognize what are the schemes of the enemy from 2,000 years ago that he's still trying to play out in our lives right now so that we can stand against together. We can stand against the schemes of the enemy. So let me feed forward just a little bit. I'm going to talk through the book of Acts. Not the whole book, just five chapters. Uh, and I'm going to talk through part of the book of Acts about the early church. And then I want to come back to say, how do we handle these disputable matters? What are some ways? And, and, and I want to also, I know I'm all over the map today. That's, it's just going to take a minute, but just hang with me. Back at the end of May, Last year, last two Sundays in May, I preached Romans 14 Disputable Matters for two weeks. I would encourage you to go watch those. They're on YouTube, Facebook, last two Sundays in May of last year. Um, you can get a, it more in-depth. But I'm going to close with that because I want to encourage us on how we can then come through this walking, walking together. Amen? All right, so turn to Acts 2. Let's jump right in. Last week, Gabriel was talking about Acts 2, and remember, key passage, Holy Spirit's poured out, Peter preaches this incredible sermon, 3,000 people come to know Jesus, I mean 3,000, it went from 120 to 3,000 in one day, talk about church growth, you talk about how to disciple 3,000 people. I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. There's no building. They didn't say, okay, we're going to gather over, I mean, what building had hold? Hey, Church of the Highlands. I guess 3,000, you know, we're going to gather. They had no. What did they do? Well, end of Acts 2, one of the great passages we all love. Hang on, we'll get this. Thanks, Dottie. I'm coming back. I'm a little quick on the trigger right now. So it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I love this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread. Really, it's a communion they're talking about, but breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe. Man, I would love that at every church service, wouldn't you? Where everybody came together and it, everyone was filled with awe just at what God was doing. Signs and wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day. Hey, church, every day we got church. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. goes on and says they... <clears throat> something. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people in the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, this is like, this is every pastor's dream 
I want that church. I want the church that's willing to meet together every day and worship. And then every day meet in homes. And every day break bread together. And God adds to our midst every day those who are being saved. And signs and wonders are following. And everybody's got things in common. We're selling stuff. Nobody has a knee. I mean, no need goes unmet. It's incredible. I mean, the power of God in the church in those early days is just phenomenal. In, in Acts chapter 3, then, Peter and John, they're headed into the temple courts. Because remember, every day they're gathering in the temple and at homes. They're in the temple. There's a crippled guy there. You know the story. He wants to, um, he's begging for silver, uh, for gold, for resources. And Peter walks by and says basically this. He says, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, I don't know, but to me that beats the heck out of silver and gold. The healing of this guy. I mean, they, they go along and they, I don't have any. Got no money. But what I've got, I'm going to give you. I have the power of God. They give it to him. He walks. People all around know this dude. I know this guy wasn't walking yesterday or the year before, the year before. Now he's walking. How did this guy walk? Of course, they're asking the question. Peter steps up, starts preaching Jesus. And he doesn't apologize for the way he preaches. Hey, this Jesus that you killed. I mean, he's bold in his preaching. And people are listening. And um, the Sadducees who are, uh, you know, you've got the Pharisees and Sadducees who are part of the Sanhedrin. They hear word about it. They go and they haul John and Peter off. By the way, I, I do want to point out again that in the books of, book of Acts, there's this signed sermon combination signs boom man healed sermon jesus there's this sign and preaching the gospel that go together throughout the books of book of acts don't forget that so they're preaching they get hauled before the sanhedrin now and they're told hey what are you doing well we're preaching jesus stop it that's what they're told that the sanhedrin's love for stop it you guys are now on double secret probation. Do not, do not preach anymore. And then they turn them, they turn them loose. They go back. Church is rejoicing. Everybody's praying. Here's the end of Acts 4. That's Acts 3 and 4, by the way. They start praying. They have a prayer meeting. They get back, tell them what happened. Hey, you're not going to believe this. We're preaching. We got arrested. They let us go. They start praying. End of chapter 4 says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind. The unity of the church is just incredible. goes on. It says, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or purses 
or houses, sorry, sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to everyone as he had need. Again, the ideal church. Listening to solid teaching, fellowshipping with one another, sharing meals, praying together, signs and wonders. No one had a need because they all shared what they had. Everyone was growing. They met together in large and small groups, everyday salvations. They impacted their community. It was Here's the thought. The end of Acts 2 and the end of Acts 4 may have been the high point for the church. You're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We never again in the New Testament are going to see this level of signs and wonders, teaching, salvations, unity. As a matter of fact, it's barely going to make it through the next chapter. One chapter later, in chapter 6, verse 1, complaining enters the church. There might be external reasons for this. I mean, never, never again will the church be as homogenous as it is right now. Everybody who's getting saved, everybody who's coming into the church is Jewish. Everybody. No Gentiles yet. Now, they're from different places in the world, and we'll see that in chapter 6, verse 1, that these places in the world start to kind of say, hey, wait a minute, you're giving preferential treatment to these people when we're from here, but they're all still Jewish. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't aim for this. I'm just saying by the time we get to Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians and the other letters of Paul, we're going to see the church is very, very different. It's made up of different groups of people. There's a unity that is having to be battled for on a consistent basis. Because people from such different backgrounds, different ways of thinking are coming together. And you may say, well, this is what the church is supposed to look like. And I would say, it's hard to argue that. Except that God doesn't leave them there. God doesn't leave them in the first church of Jerusalem. The only church in Jerusalem is not going to be left there for very long. By chapter 8, verse 1, persecution is going to come upon the church. Because who would leave this church? Who would ever go? I mean, this is so good. You'd be like, I'm staying here. And Jesus is saying, no, no, you're supposed to go to the ends of the world. No, it's too good. Right here. At the same time, the enemy is going to start to move. The enemy is going to do what the enemy does. The enemy is going to try and divide. He's going to kill and steal and destroy. The enemy is right at this moment trying to divide me and you. At this very moment, he's trying to divide you from your spouse. He's trying to divide you from your friends. He is trying to come in between all of us. And the only way... We are going to make it through this is reliance on the power of the Spirit, a recognition that the enemy is at work, and a commitment to say nothing is going to divide us. Nothing is going to take us down. I refuse to be offended by you. 
And I pray that's the case with me. Because I can't guarantee it. If you hang with me very long, I am going to say something offensive. One, because I think everything is funny. <laughs> Not everybody believes that. Not everybody has that same philosophy of life that everything is pretty funny. Now, as I've gotten older, my filters have gotten a little better, but not always. My wife will say they're getting less, actually. <laughs> my point is we have to recognize what the enemy is doing in this day and age. He is on the move. He is on the prowl. He's trying to keep the gospel from going forth. How? Well, let's go to chapter the next chapter. First is attacks from within. Attacks from within the church. Now, do you, do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? So, if you, you don't, I'll summarize real quickly. So, they're all selling what they have and bringing it to the church. Not everyone, but a lot. And Barnabas, he sells a, some land right before this at the end of chapter 4. He brings everything from the sale of the land and places it at the apostles' feet. Now, I'm not asking for that kind of offering today. I'm not looking for that. But Ananias and Sapphira think, wow, he got a lot of props. He's getting called son of encouragement. Let's, uh, let's sell some land ourselves. But let's not give it all. Let's pretend we gave it all, but not give it all. Who'll know? Who'll know the difference? They don't know what we sold it for. It's not public records. So they make a sale of some land, and Ananias brings the offering to the front. By the way, Ananias' name means God is gracious. Sapphira means beautiful. So God is gracious and beautiful. They bring, he starts, and he brings the offering to the front. He drops it off. Peter basically says, why are you trying to deceive the Holy Spirit? Now, don't you find that an interesting phrase? He's not saying, why are you trying to deceive us? Why are you trying to put on this big show? He's basically saying, hey, this is, this is a sin against the Spirit of God. You're lying, your division, the enemy at work within your heart. And maybe because the church is so young and fresh and new, and, and there are correlations to this in the Old Testament, the sin of Achan, I'm not going to get into it, but where all of a sudden Ananias... Boom, dead, right there. Well, that'll stop a church service, right? <laughs> Somebody came up with an offering, put the offering in, boom, dead. That'll make you stop and think. And it seems kind of harsh, right? All right, why didn't someone just speak a corrective word? You would slap him upside the head. Whatever, I don't know. But dead? Not too long after, his wife comes in. Evidently, word hadn't gotten out. They kept it in the house. Word's not out yet, yet that her husband is dead. So she comes in. Peter point blank asks her, hey, did you guys um, sell all the property and give all the money to the church? Yes, we did. Now, I think she knew her husband had dropped dead when he did it. She probably would have fessed up, right? But that didn't happen. 
And so, Peter says to her, how could you agree, again, to test the spirit of the Lord? I just find it, that an interesting phrase. And he goes on and says, look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door. And they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The enemy attacks from within. These are not unchurched people. These are attacks from within. And we need to recognize, I think many, we're going to talk about attacks from outside the church, but I, I would say that where we need to guard is our own hearts to make sure that the enemy is not using us to divide, to steal, to kill, to lie. Dr. Donald J. Barnhouse, he's a pastor from an earlier generation. He would not allow his congregation to sing the third verse of the hymn at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. That's not the verse. He would not have them sing this. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. There my rapture soul can only sing of Calvary. He would not let him sing that verse. Because he said, if I did, if I let my congregation sing that verse, I'm afraid I'm going to have to open a mortuary in the basement. <laughs> Why? Because he, he knew that there are in our hearts these strongholds that need to be broken. And the problem with being deceived is we don't know we're deceived until the light of God shines in the dark recess of our heart and says, that's not true. That is deception. And if we walk in deception long enough, it becomes a stronghold in our life. And a stronghold has a strong hold on me. It becomes a way of thinking. It becomes a... It becomes a and we don't even know it. See, there are areas in your life right now that you don't even know that have become pillars here for you. And if you're not careful, you'll stab someone else trying to defend your stronghold. You'll stab a brother or sister in Christ. Not because you are disliking them, but because they dare intrude on the stronghold of your heart. And the way... And what we need is the spirit. Of, I've got him too, by the way. I'm not dismissing me in this. Because we're human and we're battling through life together. What we need is the love of one another. The power of the spirit shining his light in our hearts. Because the power of God is mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. It doesn't have to be a part of your life. But it does have to be revealed. It does have to be exposed. It does have to be confessed. And the attacks that come from within many times are the result of long-held strongholds in our life of which we are unaware. This day and age is exposing them. I mean, there are things that have been exposed in my heart in the last year that I thought I had dealt with a long time ago. I mean, just to be totally honest, 
there are weaknesses and flaws in my way of thinking and my identity and who I am and who the church is and stuff that I, I just sit around thinking, what is wrong with me? It's almost depressing. But that's another stronghold. You know, it's where the enemy wants to say, look, you're not near as good as you thought you were. You're not near as free as you thought you were. You're not near this as you thought you were. I mean, he doesn't play fair. He'll use anything to try and take us down. He'll use any method to try and divide us. We need the power of the Spirit, the power of God. That's what Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4 is teaching us. We have to lean into the power of the Spirit. We will then face back, uh, attacks from the outside. I'm going to go on quicker. Although, I think this is good preaching. I don't know about you. You don't have to prop me up. But you can if you want to. It's a, it's a battle today, people. The enemy, the enemy starts to attack from the outside. They're fired up now. Look at the people are joining. People are dying. We're, let's go preach the gospel. All the apostles go out. Can you imagine a, a time where all 12 are in the temple courts and they're preaching the word of God? From Peter down to whoever the last guy was that joined, um, uh, who, who, who rolled the lucky dice. He's in there too. And they're all out there preaching. And the Sadducees come, again, the Sadducees, they're, they're all over the place. And they, are, they arrest all 12 of them. And they basically say, didn't we tell you you were on double secret probation? Didn't we tell you if you did this again? And they threw him in jail. Well, during the night, an angel comes, opens the door, all 12 go out. Now, what's really ironic about this to me is the Sadducees don't believe in angels. <laughs> I think it's a kind of funny twist that they're like, how do they get out? I don't know. Something we don't believe in, let them out. So the 12 get out. They go straight back to the temple and start preaching. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be, whoa, I am so glad to be out. I'm headed home. But no, these guys are like, angel let us out. Let's go start preaching. Sadducees, the whole Sanhedrin gets together and says, hey, go get those, go get those guys. Bring them out here. Guard has to kind of march in and say, uh, hey, I went. The door was locked, but they're not in there. They're like, what? Where are they? Another guy says, um, they're over there preaching. They're in the temple preaching the word of God again. So they haul them before the Sanhedrin. I mean, these are the same guys who basically put Jesus to death. I mean, they're the ones who, they have that mojo. They have that ability. And so they're there and they're, pre they're before them and they say, didn't we tell you to stop it? And Peter says this famous, this famous line, we must obey God rather than men. Now, here's the deal with obeying God rather than men. Saying this statement puts Peter's life on the line. You better be careful if you're going to say it. 
Because it could be that the next thing is you're dead. I mean, that's just the simple truth. We must obey God rather than men. But in order for that to happen, you have to be willing to lay down your life. I'm not getting quite as much agreement now as I did a minute ago. Why? Because none of us want to face that aspect. You know the famous story of Martin Luther who is called before the Pope and he, he when said, you've got to repent, you've got to recant. He says, here I stand. God help me. I cannot do otherwise. He knew that at that moment he could, it's a famous statement, but he, he didn't know the outcome. Am I going to live or am I die? But when the truth of God is proclaimed, the enemy is going to try to work from the inside. He's going to try and work from the outside. He's going to work in any way he can in order to bring down what God is trying to do. What happens? It's, I'm trying to, to hurry this up a little bit, but Gamaliel, who is the teacher of Paul eventually, if Saul, Paul, you remember that Paul says, I study under Gamaliel. He stands up and says, hey, look, this is of God. There's nothing you can do about it. If it's not of God, it'll just die away. Don't. So they say, okay, we're not going to kill him. We'll just flog him. I mean, flogging, it, it just gets passed over so quick. You know, like, oh, we're just going to flog him. Well, I mean, we're talking like 39 hits, lashes. I mean, it's not, nothing pleasant about it. They get flogged and then released. Again, Gamaliel, I'm going to skip this part, says, we're going to kill him. So what do the apostles do? Attacks from within, attacks from without, they go back. If we understand attacks and that they're coming from the enemy and we get to overcome attacks and when we walk through to the other side, it should lead to rejoicing. It should lead to celebration. It should lead to worship. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Jesus had predicted and told them this was going to happen. He told them in Luke, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. They rejoiced. Now what is our response when things go bad? I don't know about you, but if I'd been flogged for preaching the gospel... My response would probably have been, why me? What, what is this all about? I'm trying to do the work of God, and look what's happening. Instead, they recognize we are storming the enemy's camp, and this is the result, and I'm going to rejoice because I get, to, I get to suffer for the name of Christ. So they continue. Day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that is the Christ. <clears throat> Here's my point. 
You're gonna, we're going to be attacked from within. We already are. We're going to be attacked from without. We already are. We can either fold. We can either at, attack one another. We can blame one another. We can blame God. Or we can stand firm and say, God, I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. Now, here's the key. Are we preaching Jesus? Here's my question for some of us today. What are we an evangelist for? Are the battles that you're fighting having to do with all the stuff going on in the world? Or are you, it doesn't say, great are you when you have to suffer because you did or didn't wear a mask. I thought I was going to poke a little bit. No, it's about proclaiming Jesus. Proclaiming him. That's our goal. That's what we're here for. That's the purpose of the church, to display to the world the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We are the body of Christ. We need to stand together. Now, let me say, this is the end of chapter 5. Chapter 6, verse 1, they start complaining. Things start happening in the church. But what are we going to do? We're going to stand together. What about these debatable, disputable matters? How do we handle them together so they don't become attacks where the church is fighting against one another? Listen, we live in an age where there's a total lack of tolerance, do we not? I, I understand that some of you are facing either taking the vaccine or losing your job. I'm in prayer with you over these days ahead. And I pray for God's grace and mercy to be upon you. But I want to encourage you, and here are my first two points. And please, don't find them too offensive. Um, but seek God, not YouTube. Go after God. Pray. You'll find whatever you want that will echo your own opinion already on YouTube. I don't care what it is. I watched, a, I didn't watch it all, I watched the first part of it of 200 reasons why the earth is flat the other day. I mean, the guy was really convincing. I started to believe it <laughs> after a little while. I mean, it's there for us. Instead, we have to trust God. You, in these decisions that you have to make in the days ahead, you have to seek God. And what if, what if I seek God and decide to get a vaccine and you seek God and not to get a vaccine? You know what I say? So what? That's you? That's me? I'm seeking God because what I have to do is I have, whatever I do, it's got to be faith. Whatever I do, it's got to be walked out in faith, not fear. I, I'm not here to make you afraid. I'm here to preach the word of God so that you can hear from God so that you can walk it out in faith. Because to him who knows what to do and doesn't do it to him, it's a sin. Or not to do. You have to walk out in faith. Now the truth is, you have to be willing. You have to be willing. Whatever your faith tells you to do, there may be consequences for that decision. There will be consequences for that decision. And probably no more so than this. And I know I, I'm 
This is an issue that's facing us right now, right? So, if I had faith receive the vaccine, it's not like eating meat to idols. Like, if I was eating meat, this week I could eat meat, next week I couldn't eat meat. I mean, it, it'll change. But once I receive the vaccine, I, I got it, right? Also, once you don't receive the vaccine, if you get sick and you didn't receive the vaccine, then you could die. If you don't get the vaccine, you may lose your job. You have to be willing to walk out in faith, not fear, what the future has for you, whatever it may be. And I can't tell you that. I mean, I could, I could give you my opinion, but it's just my opinion. It's a disputable matter. It's debatable. I, I read an article this week of, um, just yesterday as a matter of fact, about uh, the National Religious Broadcasting Company. Now, their whole purpose is to promote freedom of speech among religious broadcasters. And they fired their own communication director because he talked about why he felt like God would have him get the vaccine. Do you see the irony? We're promoting free speech. He promotes why God led him to get the vaccine, and he gets fired for it from a group that promotes free speech. It's on all sides. I'm not saying this is, this is it, it's all around. This lack of tolerance. Don't, don't go outside. What I believe about this disputable matter, or I'll cut you off. Whatever you do, do it in faith, not fear. I believe, if, if I was an apostle standing before the Sanhedrin and they're telling me don't do it, I, I would pray that I would have the faith to say whether I live or die, I'm going to obey God, not you. I have to hear from, now they're talking about the gospel. It's a little bigger, I understand. But you are faced with these decisions on a consistent basis. Whatever you do, do it in faith, not fear. Then, extend grace to one another. We have to extend grace toward one another. Listen, let's just take the vaccine off the table for one moment. Just to live together, you have to extend grace. Look, if you make every deal a battle in your own home, oh my lands. It's a horrible place to live, isn't it? If you refuse to extend grace, listen, I, I've, I've met with people before where the grace was gone from what they extended toward our church. I could just tell. And I'll say to them, you know what? I, it seems like the grace is gone. I'm with you. I think you should leave. Now, you may think, wow, that's a strong thing for the pastor to say. But my, my contention is this. If you let grace leave in relationships, oh, my Lance, all you're left is legalism. And that will fall apart really quickly. We have to extend grace. And it's a consistent, where are you going to get this grace? You're going to get it from the power of the Spirit indwelling you, from God's presence in your life. You have to extend grace to one another. Which leads me to my next point, which is this. Stop using judgmental language. Oh, okay. Well, stuff like this. Stop saying that if someone doesn't get the vaccine, that they're not fulfilling their Christian duty. They're not really, they're not really loving as God would have them love. What does that do to the person? It makes them feel judged. That's not walking together in fellowship, is it? It's not. 
You, you have to allow the faith of God. Now, you may disagree with their decision. Disagreement is not the same as judgment. Hello? Disagreement is not the same as judgment. When you're speaking judgment on a person, you're, you're, you're putting something on them. Don't use, please, I'm asking you, do not talk about the vaccine being the mark of the beast or the abomination of desolation or any of those terms. They, it is not that. It could lead to that someday. I acknowledge that. It could lead to it. But at this present moment, if you say that that person is getting the mark of the beast, you, it's out of context for the book of Revelation. Totally. Not only that, but you're saying that person is damned to the lake of fire. Really? Is that what you want to claim about another believer in the body of Christ? Now, there will be a day when this is happening, but this is not that. And if you lessen it by trying to make this that, that when that comes, it won't seem that big a deal. Did that make sense? You will, you're lessening something that's just eternal on someone. Stop using language that's judgmental. And if, and if you're not sure if it's judgmental, ask somebody around you, did that sound judgmental? Because sometimes we don't know what our words sound like. And maybe trust them to tell you. Yeah. I think your judgment is showing. Sometimes we need that, right? That's a funny line. I really like that line. I'm going to write a book someday called, Excuse, excuse Me, Your Judgment is Showing. Because we don't even know it. Finally, I'm going to cease here. Above all, love love. Have love for one another. Extend grace to one another. We're going to, people, I, I don't think this is a short haul thing. I'm not a prophetic guy. I just feel like it's going to be a longer journey together. And we're in for some bumps. I wish I could have said, if I was a year ago, I would have said, yeah, we'll be done with this plan. I don't know. I just but I know this, that the enemy will use every means to divide us. He'll use every means to try and keep us from fellowshipping. He'll keep us trying to speak something on one another. And instead, we need to walk in the grace and love of God. We need to love one another. When we come to the table of the Lord, that's what we're declaring. We're declaring we're one. We who were many are now one. Because Jesus Christ's body was broken for us. Broken. We who were broken are now, we're now whole. We're not perfect, but we're whole. And we can have unity without having conformity. We can have unity without all having to agree on every single issue. Because it's never going to happen. Conformity, it's never going to, if that's our goal, we're, but we can have unity because we're all unified around the body and blood of Christ, the Lordship of Christ, by the power of the Spirit who indwells us. So when you come to this table, you're saying, like my brother or sister next to me, I was once in sin, but now I've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. Nothing I did. Now I walk in humility before him with them, declaring that we are his body now. So I want to invite you.
to the table of the Lord. I want to invite you to come and say, we are, we're one. Ask God to shine the light of the Spirit into your heart to show you any strongholds that are keeping you from walking in unity with someone else around you. Ask God to forgive, because there's probably no stronghold that's more ugly than unforgiveness in your heart and all the ramifications it has so that we can walk together in these days ahead, which are going to be hard. I'm not, I'm not claiming they're not going to be difficult. I think they're going to be challenging. And know above all else, I love you with everything that I am. I love this people. I love this place. I can't wait, honestly, for what the days ahead hold. I'm not dreading it. I want to run into it by the power of the Spirit to say, here's my job. I'm going to be light in this dark place. I think fullness has a place in this. If we continue to walk in love and grace and unity together. Lord, I pray right now for your hand to be upon us. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who walk in unity with one another. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I, I pray that if there's anything I've said this morning that's not of you, that it would just kind of disappear in the wind. That the enemy would have no room to kind of misinterpret things. Lord, you know my heart this morning, and I pray it's pure before you to declare that we are the body of Christ. And we want to love one another. We want to extend grace to one another. We want to be light in the dark places. Lord, I know there are some people here today struggling with this decision that we've been talking about, vaccines and no vaccines. Spirit of God, speak your grace into their hearts and their lives today. Lord, there's others who've already decided. Lord, just continue to speak your grace toward them. Lord, I, 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 I love them all, and I know you do. Lord, as we come to this table with all these different things going on, Make us one. If there's someone here today who doesn't know Christ as the one who leads their life and forgives their sins, Spirit of God, draw them. Lord, I thank you for this people in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. May this not be some religious ritual we go through, but may we meet God here right now in power in this place. Calm blessing of God. Calm fount of life. Calm spirit of unity.